homily for the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time. St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks, August 9th, 2020. We use two different words for the interior of a Catholic church. The sanctuary is what we call the front portion, including the altar, tabernacle, etc. Everything else, where the congregation is, is called the nave, N-A-V-E. That word comes from the Latin root meaning ship. Think of the English word navigator. According to this image, the church is a vehicle that transports us to a different place. The word of God and the sacraments are gifts that carry us from this life to the next. Your house, office, or gym may be important to you, but none of them is set aside as a place of spiritual pilgrimage, like the church is meant to be. I'm bringing this up because readings like today's gospel informed our understanding of the role of Christ's church. The world's priorities are not God's. Outside those doors is a stormy sea that tosses us around. We need to think about where we find shelter in Jesus and refuge from the storm. Four years ago, I was part of our diocesan delegation to Poland for World Youth Day. Maybe you've seen churches that have an elevated pulpit a few steps above the floor. This would have helped to amplify the speaker's voice before microphones and sound systems. Well, there was one church we visited in Poland that had an elevated pulpit, not as a simple podium, but built in the shape and design of a small boat. An idea inspired in part by what we heard today. I'd be happy to show you that picture on my phone after Mass. The episode of Jesus and Simon Peter walking on the water is one of the best known in the Bible. It is wondrous that Peter was bold enough to ask for the ability to walk on the water, and more wondrous that he was able to do it. When Peter became afraid and started to sink, Jesus immediately rescued him, but took him to task for faltering in his faith. We commonly see this scene depicted in paintings in Protestant churches. This is just an anecdotal observation on my part, but it seems to me that Peter's position in the water reveals the spiritual bias of the artist. In many cases, he is only beginning to sink down to his knees or waist. Now, if the artist is a dyed-in-the-wool Calvinist, pessimistic about the human condition, one will see Peter up to his neck, nearly submerged. I want to tell you about a powerful analogy I heard someone make in reference to this scene. When Peter asked the Lord to command him to walk on the sea, he didn't protest, but simply said, come. There's an American theologian and speaker named Christopher West who came to prominence in the church a number of years ago with his scholarship on the theology of the body, St. John Paul II's groundbreaking study of human sexuality. In one of his talks, he implores his listeners with a repeating theme, get out of the boat. Here's what Mr. West means. This will be a lengthy setup, just to let you know up front, but I think it's important to illustrate my point, so please hang with me. Life in Christ is an adventure, and Jesus leads us in directions counter to the culture in which we live. The Holy Father's teaching back in the early 1980s can be boiled down to the following description. 
Through an in-depth study of scripture, St. John Paul II sought to answer two fundamental questions. One, what does it mean to be human? And two, how do I live my life in a way that brings true happiness and fulfillment? His teaching, therefore, wasn't just about sex and marriage. Since our creation as male and female is the fundamental fact of human existence, the theology of the body seeks to rediscover the meaning of the whole of existence. By focusing on the beauty of God's plan for the union of the sexes, he shifted the discussion from legalism, that is, how far can I go before breaking the law, to liberty, that is, what is the truth that sets me free to love. The truth that we seek is salvation in Jesus Christ. Why did St. John Paul devote so much time and energy to developing a doctrine on Christian sexual ethics? The often repressive approach of previous generations of Christians, usually silence, or at most, don't do it, is largely responsible for the cultural rejection of the Church's voice in the matter. People came to conclude that the Church had nothing to say about such things. Well, the Holy Father saw that we needed a new language to break the silence and reverse the negativity. We needed a fresh theology that explains how the Christian sexual ethic, far from the prudish list of prohibitions it is assumed to be, corresponds perfectly with the deepest yearnings of our hearts for love and union. Therefore, Christopher West argues that both daily life and the pressing issues of the day call us to make bold decisions. Whenever we acquiesce to the peer pressure of the culture of death, it's as though we are huddling in the boat out of fear that we might make waves or endure persecution. However, when we act with the fortitude the Holy Spirit gives us and stand with the Lord, even at the risk of suffering, we are doing something no less dramatic than climbing out of the boat and walking on the water. Here are some examples. We instruct engaged couples that cohabitating before marriage is harmful to their souls and actually impairs their ability to form a lifelong marital covenant with their future spouse. But most everyone they know, including their own parents, are doing it or have done it and they feel awkward not following along. Well, Jesus is telling them, Get out of the boat and walk on the water. Let me protect you. Those same couples see most everyone they know engaging in intimate relations before marriage and using artificial contraception. They're tempted to squirrel away in the boat and follow the crowd. Jesus tells them, my relationship with you has something far better in store for the kind of love you're capable of having with each other. Get out of the boat. A young person is feeling wounded, is struggling with his or her identity, and is convinced that gender reassignment surgery must be the answer because so many voices will cheer the person on. Jesus says, I know the real you. I love the real you and want to heal you. It may not happen overnight, but you will be in my safekeeping. Get out of the boat. Perhaps one of you wants to do more to promote pro-life activities, but your family members or co-workers will mock you. 
They won't accept your choice and will bully you. They may even jeopardize your employment. Jesus says, You are tempted to preserve comfort over saying and doing what's right, when eventually you will end up with neither. Expressing heroic virtue may seem as far-fetched to you as walking on water, but I will be with you and speaking through you. Get out of the boat. Think of the nine African-American students who were the first to join the formerly all-white student body of Little Rock Central High School in the fall of 1957. Federal Judge Ronald Davies, a North Dakota native, by the way, overruled the Arkansas governor's order and authorized the integration. Those teenagers were plenty scared, as any of us may have been, when crowds of angry townspeople came to the school to jeer them and call them vile names. Life would have been much easier if they had refused to go. But as a group, they knew how important the moment was for the whole country. Someone had to be the first, and it might as well be they. They got out of the boat. In all sorts of contexts, being faithful to Christ may strike us as the equivalent of walking on water. It's not as if he is asking us to do more than is possible, but rather that we will not allow him to stretch our horizons. We ought to expect no different response from the Son of God than what Peter received. My plan for you is mightier than any fear. Get out of the boat and come to me. Amen.